to this week's Money Metals podcast, helping gold and silver investors during these turbulent times. Now, this week's market wrap with commentary and analysis from Money Metals Exchange, the company named best overall precious metals dealer by Investopedia. Welcome to this week's Market Wrap podcast. I'm Mike Leeson. Coming up, we'll hear an interview with David Morgan of the Morgan Report. Be sure to stick around and hear the silver guru's take on the current market conditions and what to expect in the metal space in 2024. But first, here's this week's market update. As the stock market flirts with new highs, precious metals markets may be putting in a near-term bottom. The S&P 500 index rallied on Thursday to just shy of a record close. Gold and silver markets also rallied, erasing some losses from earlier in this week's trading. Escalating conflicts in the Middle East drove some safe haven buying of bullion. But statements by Federal Reserve policymakers indicating they are reluctant to cut rates as aggressively have weighed on metals this month. Although metals markets have gotten off to a rough start so far in 2024, gold continues to hang on to critical support above the $2,000 level. As of this Friday recording, the monetary metal checks in at $2,035 an ounce, down 1.2% for the week. Turning to the white metals, silver shows a weekly loss of 2.9% to bring spot prices to $22.69 an ounce. Platinum is off 1.4% to come in at $908. And finally, palladium is posting a 4.4% decline this week to trade at $967 per ounce. Sound money advocates are paying close attention to how the political battle lines will be drawn for this fall's election. Former President Donald Trump claimed an impressive victory in the Iowa caucuses. Barring an intervention from the courts, Trump's ascension to the GOP nomination now seems inevitable. He has received the endorsement from former candidate Vivek Ramaswamy. The anti-woke businessman offered sharp criticisms of the Federal Reserve System while campaigning. He linked the Fed's monetary policies to the problems of inflation and housing unaffordability. Donald Trump has also blasted Joe Biden over rising costs of living, an issue that appears to be hurting the incumbent in key battleground states such as Pennsylvania and Michigan. This week, Trump sounded off on the threat of central bank digital currency. The Biden Treasury Department, along with the Federal Reserve, have been actively exploring the possibility of issuing a digital dollar. Trump vowed to stop it from moving forward if elected president. And tonight I'm also making another promise to protect Americans from government tyranny. As your president, I will never allow the creation of a central bank digital currency. You know about You know what they're doing. Such a currency would give a federal government, our federal government, the absolute control over your money. They could take your money. You wouldn't, you wouldn't even know it was gone. This would be a dangerous threat to freedom, and I will stop it. Sound money advocates applaud Donald Trump, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and others, regardless of their partisan affiliation, who speak out against central bank digital currency schemes. But champions of hard currency are also skeptical about the prospects of any of the major candidates for president bringing about fundamental reforms to our fiat monetary system. Trump originally elevated Jerome Powell to Fed chairman, and Biden reappointed him, continuing a long history of bipartisan support for the status quo at the central bank running up larger and larger federal deficits to be financed with easy money from the Fed is also a long-standing bipartisan tradition. For all his talk about draining the swamp, former President Trump allowed deficit spending to balloon under his watch. Of course, his fiscal record took a hit in the final year of his first term as a consequence of pandemic-related emergency spending. 
Even though the lockdowns and mass mandates have gradually given way to a return to normalcy, federal finances have not returned to normal at all. The deficit for the current fiscal year is expected to exceed $2 trillion. There is no national emergency, no war being waged by U.S. troops, no official recession or financial crisis. And yet spending is going completely off the rails versus tax receipts. Washington is broken. All efforts to fix it through the legislative process are running into entrenched opposition from the establishment wings of both parties. On Thursday, Congress passed another stopgap funding bill to avert a government shutdown. Once again, it was pushed through by top Republican vote counters who joined forces with Democrats to thwart the objectives of fiscal conservatives within their ranks. Another budget battle looms ahead of a March deadline for keeping federal funds flowing. In an election year, politicians will be working to clear their schedules for campaigning. They don't want to be attacked for cutting programs the government cannot afford to continue funding. So they will kick the can down the road for some future Congress to deal with the deficit. In reality, the window of opportunity for a political solution to the nation's fiscal woes may have already passed. The only remaining solution is a monetary one. The pressure will be on the Fed to enable the government to borrow by the trillions at artificially suppressed negative real interest rates. Central bankers will also stand ready to buy treasuries in unlimited quantities. Jerome Powell and company do in fact have the tools to cover over the government's massive funding gaps with new currency creation, but at the cost of wrecking what remains of their credibility on price stability. Well now, without further delay, here's Money Metal's Mike Meharry's interview with our good friend and the man they call the silver guru, David Morgan. I'm here with David Morgan, publisher of the Morgan Report. David is a well-known analyst in the precious metals industry, consults for hedge funds, high net worth investors, mining companies, depositories, bullion dealers, and more. He's the author of The Silver Manifesto and other books, and he's also a featured speaker at many investment conferences all around the world. David, thank you for coming on the show. How are you doing today? Michael, I'm doing fine, and thank you for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. So I was uh, just perusing uh, your website kind of getting ready for the interview. And on the top banner, uh, pretty astonishing claim. It says inflation has reached 3,000%. And so a lot of people would see that and they say, well, I just saw the December CPI data. They said inflation is only 3.4%. Where are you getting the 3,000%? What, what's the what's kind of the, the point that you're making there? Well, if you look at a dollar as defined as, you know, 371.25 grains of 999 fine silver. And you look at that $1913, and you look at today, you could say a $20 gold piece in 1913. Uh, today is across 2,000. So 20 times 10 is 200. 20 times 1,000 is, uh, is 2,000. So it's 1,000 just in the monetary sphere would be a thousand times 3000 is relative to goods and services so what we've really seen is uh, a hyperinflation at a slow rate of speed right so in other words if you know i had my great grandfather wake up and say that you know an average automobile costs what four houses cost in his day he would obviously recognize that immediately as a hyperinflation right but since it took you know 120 years to accomplish that uh, people 
you know, roll with the punches, so to speak, and just accept it or, you know, shrug their shoulders and go on. So um, the dollar really has lost a great, great deal of value officially, um, unofficially. I think it's greater than the 1,000 I pointed out. Those are a raw fact, factual numbers. The point being is that the government's uh, admission of inflation is far less than the true rate of inflation. In other words, if you use the hamburger index as an example, mm -hmm. they say, well, hamburger, that doesn't really represent that much. Well, in actuality, it does because it's got the beef, which is a commodity. It's got flour and bread, which is a commodity. It's got transportation costs. It's got fuel in it because it took fuel to raise the crops, both the wheat and the beef, and on and on. So really, if you analyze what is in a hamburger, it actually was a pretty good representation of a pretty good commodity-based mm -hmm. real cost structure. So I don't want to belabor the point, but yeah, it, it's, it's outrageous for a reason. We want to wake people up. We want them to push back. We want them to think about it. We want them to... Ponder it. I mean, one of my biggest goals for my life's work is really to not only the overused thing, Michael, you know, wake people up. Okay, fine. Right. But really to get them to think. The most important thing in the in, in any education, be it uh, east, west, or in between, classical education is to be taught how to critically think, use logic, uh, find logical fallacies, find when the argument is circular all these things that people are not taught. So they get locked into the present paradigm and, you know, the circular argument that actually sounds like, wow, well, that guy really knows what he's talking about. Or that woman really has it together. When in actuality, it's, it's a fallacy. It really isn't an argument whatsoever, but they don't know how to think through it. I think it's interesting. I've seen the comparison kind of along the, the hamburger index. I've seen the comparison of uh, a fine suit, which is something that's basically the same as it was, you know, 100 years ago, a suit's a suit. And if you price a suit in an ounce of gold uh, 100 years ago, it would have basically been an ounce of gold. If you price that same fine suit today in an ounce of gold, it's basically actually a little less. Uh, yeah indicating the fact that as we become more productive and, and technology is advanced, we can actually do things cheaper. And yet now an ounce of gold is, you know, over $2,000 an ounce at the time it was $35 an ounce. And that really gives a sense of just how much the government has depreciated uh, the currency. I don't even like to call it money because I'm not sure that we can call the fiat dollars money in any real sense, but um Let's talk a little bit about kind of where we are in in the current uh, in the current climate. I think the mainstream uh, narrative right now is is we had a little run of price inflation, you know, after the COVID pandemic, uh, and and you know, first it was transitory, and then they had to admit, well, it's not really transitory, so we better do something about it, and and so they've raised interest rates to five point five percent at the high end, and. Now they're kind of claiming, hey, we've got price inflation under control and we're going to be able to lower interest rates again. And to boot, we haven't even hurt the economy. The economy's roaring along. We're just doing fine. We're going to get the soft landing. What, in your view, is is wrong? I'm assuming you think this narrative is probably not right. I certainly don't think it's a, a good narrative. What's wrong with this, uh, kind of the way the mainstream is looking at things right now? Well, I'll take a deep breath. I mean, I'll try to be succinct. 
first of all, for the big, big picture, all fiat fails. Mm-hmm. Number two is we're living a lie. You can't get something for nothing. So a fiat currency can be printed basically for no cost. Yeah, there's cost of running the printing presses and electricity and manpower and labor and all that stuff. But the point being is that you can run these things until the marketplace says we're not going to accept that currency for payment anymore. And that's the direction we're heading. That's the direction that all fiat has done in past history. Does it mean it goes to absolute zero? The answer is no. It means basically people find another method of payments, which Uh is what you see at the end of all great inflations. For example, the crypto boom as an alternative. You see gold and silver come back as they have, but not nearly to the level that they might with the what I'll call suppression from the mainstream Wall Streeters, because Wall Street doesn't really want to promote gold and silver. Certainly, the government doesn't really want to promote gold and silver. So you have uh, easy access to it, actually, but most people don't know what to do with it. The main complaint I get, or I should say complaint, concern is, well, I believe you, David, it makes a lot of sense, but what do I do with it? Right. And of course, the answer is you spend it. Mm-hmm. That's what you do. You, you, you say your savings is in real money, and you spend in real money. And that's really how you circumvent part of the problem. But going deeper... We're at the end. The end is when we're getting to that point where the psychology of inflation overtakes whatever the government says. Uh-huh. And as they continue to lose more and more credibility, people just tune it out. And they just say, I don't care what, you know, Mr. Powell has to say or Grandma Yellen or, you know, <laughs> some banker. It costs me more every time I go to the grocery store. Yeah, well, gasoline prices have come off somewhat, but I just got another notice from my landlord. My, my rent's going up. Oh, by the way, my insurance bill is going up for both my housing insurance and also my automobile insurance. Oh, by the way, there's just another fee added on by the city for a city tax. Oh, by the way. So this is insidious. It continues. It's pervasive. It's always and everywhere, and it never ceases. So people get that psychological idea that this inflation is never going away. They tune out more and more of the mainstream rhetoric. And so what do they do? Well, they take action any way they can, which means when they do go to the store and maybe they did get a bonus or maybe they saved or maybe they're doing fairly okay now, not as well as they were, but they're okay. They're still paying all the bills. Hey, I'm buying you know more peanut butter. I noticed last time my family goes through a lot of it. The kids make their own peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. They eat 12 a week. Mm-hmm. And I'm buying four, I'm buying a case of peanut butter. And I'm buying a case of jelly. I mean, that might be a crude example, but it's a real example in real lives. Most people in the working class never have a stock account. Many are indirectly tied to it because of the way the system is set up. They don't even realize it. But so this is it. We're, we're near what Rafi Faber calls the end game. I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that wording, the end game, because we're at the end of the game. And where does it go? Nobody knows. Well, we do in a way. We know what they, the powers that be, the global elitists, or what I call the money powers, the bankers, they want to keep control. Mm-hmm. And the way you keep control in most societies is through money uh, or currency. And that's what they don't want to lose. So right. they want to move from a tangible thing like a piece of paper that has a picture mm-hmm. of a president on it that's printed by a private banking institution's really script. It's really not e- even money or even representation of money. But regardless of the of the legal legalities, people lose faith in it. And actually, I'm a big believer in the extra pyramid, which you can look up if you're not familiar with that term. People just go to 
Google or search and type in EXTER pyramid, and you'll find out what I'm talking about. But as the trust breaks down in the system, things that are very untrustworthy, like maybe some of the shite coins in the mm. crypto sphere, some of the bonds of uh, questionable countries, uh, bonds of uh, corporates that are zombie corporations, all that stuff just starts to blow away. People don't want it. You can bid, bid, bid. No, there's no one offering to buy it. And so you come down the pyramid, and what you trust the most is the U.S. dollar. And that's for several reasons. One, we print as fast as we can, but it's not as fast as other countries. Right. So relative to other countries, we look strong. It's all mm -hmm. relative. We're very, very weak from 1913 till now, but relative to other countries that are printing faster, we look strong. Yeah. So you've got that. And then you've got the trust in this piece of paper. Then I take to Starbucks, which I don't think they accept cash, but regardless, <laughs> that this cash will, will buy me something. So you're going to get a run to the dollar. The dollar remains strong until what I call the bitter end or the end of the end game. And that's where we are right now. So people are saving dollars. They're not spending as many. They're forced to cut back. Uh, and on it goes. So we are no longer at a place where we can kick the can much further. We might be able to kick it another five feet and hit the wall or kick it over the cliff. But there really isn't much road left to kick the can. And so they could continue to try what they always have and use monetary policy and fiscal policy to stimulate the economy, print up a bunch of money, print up five bucks. And for every five bucks they print up, they got a, a dollar's worth of growth in GDP. Well, that's wonderful. If you got to buy, borrow five dollars to get one dollar productivity, you're definitely going backwards. You're really not growing. You're growing a money supply, but you're not really growing the economy. Are there places in the economy that are growing? Yes, of course there are. But the, but on aggregate, you're not. So that's where we're at. We're going to probably get this year, 2024, which we just started, where I'd say maybe 70 or 80 percent of the people really understand that there's something drastically wrong with the monetary system. They might not be able to articulate it. They might, might do in interviews. That's not what's important. What's important is the psychology of inflation is in them and cannot be released, regardless of what the government thinks, does, or says. Whatever rhetoric they use, whatever penalties they put up for disinformation, all of that stuff goes by the side because the truth is what matters, and the truth is more powerful than anything else. And the truth is these people have been screwing us for a very long time, and they don't intend to quit. So more and more people will catch on and start to do it on an individual and a community basis and push back. Yeah, I think you make a really good point. You know, you can you can spew rhetoric for so long and, and kind of pull the wool over people's eyes. But ultimately, I mean, we all know what's going on. And I think in maybe in some degree they've overplayed their hand a little bit. I was uh, I was I was reading about in the CPI CPI calculation the way that they were calculating the cost of health insurance. It actually showed a thirty eight percent decrease in health insurance last year, going up into I think it was October. We all know that the cost of health insurance has not gone down 38%. I mean, it's it's ludicrous. And at some point, you know, your average person who's not watching CNBC and doesn't care at all about, you know, what's happening over in Wall Street, they're looking at that and, and they know this because they're paying that bill. You know, there's there's only so long that you can kind of gaslight people, I guess, to use a popular term today, into thinking that that everything's fine when they know it's not. And yet 
you still have folks out there in the mainstream that will say to somebody like you or, or to me, well, you know, you've been doom and gloom and you've been predicting a crash and, you know, everything's fine. You know, I remember back in the in the 80s when people really started to kind of talk about the national debt and, and I guess really kind of spiraling up into the 90s and you had the, the Newt Gingrich phenomenon and, uh, you know, then the, the national debt was like four trillion dollars or something paltry compared to where we are today. So they'll look at that and they'll say, well, we've gone this far and everything's still fine. Why should we believe you now that everything's not fine? Yeah, I think it comes down to the Buffett indicator. I mean, if you look at you know real productivity versus the GDP, and then you see what the interest is on the national debt, when you get to a point where all of the tax receipts can only pay the interest on the national debt, you're in big trouble. Mm -hmm. And that's a banana republics type of statistic. And that's where we're headed. So plus, there's so much that's obfuscated by the power elite. For example, if you go back to Professor Skidmore and my friend Catherine Austin Fritz, uh, Dr. Skidmore proved that there was like a $20 trillion off budget item that's in the black budget that was in the national debt. So we're really not at 34 trillion, we're at 54 trillion. Mm -hmm. And so, and you don't know what they're really doing. I mean, the Fed's books have never been audited. Right. We don't know how much funny money they sent to Europe to keep their banks from crashing in the 2008 financial crisis. So what happens and really what's a great question is, I'll use the analogy of the movie, The Matrix, because Things happen slowly over time, and this is really well thought out by them. I mean, I have to basically um, tip my hat and give them kudos. I don't like to. I don't like anything they're doing, <laughs> but that their plan was well thought out from the aspect that they do it slowly over time. Mm -hmm. So if you go back to like when I was a kid, you could buy from an independent hamburger joint five burgers for a dollar. Yeah. Now, they weren't very good burgers. They're about the equivalent of a McDonald's burger. Mm -hmm. But still, you get five for a dollar. Right. Well, then you move on, and now you were getting, you know, a dollar for a hamburger mm -hmm. or whatever. <clears throat> and then and start, things started to come to the surface, like a certain outfit was using horse meat, or they were using oatmeal in their burgers to make mm -hmm. them look bigger. And that's just a quick example, going back to the hamburger index, of what is the truth. And the truth gets distorted and convoluted, and then you come out with uh, you know nice buzzwords like it's my truth, like my truth supersedes supersedes an ultimate truth. And the truth is that as the inflations were on, their companies, corporate America, even individuals, even mom and pop shops, do what they need to survive or continue to profit. So the shrinkflation, you know, it's the mm -hmm. same price, but the, the bag is 20% smaller than it was before. A lot of people don't pay attention to that. So you get this ministry of truth out there running everything, and it's legal to do all of this stuff, or some's not, but they do it anyway. Right. And so you get the wool pulled over your eyes, as you said a moment ago, where people, if on first glance... It appears as if everything's okay. And why are you worried now? You know, when the debt was four trillion, you know, we we're doing fine. And now it's 34 trillion or 54 trillion, whatever it is, we're still okay. And so what's preventing us from going over the edge? Nothing. It's gonna be the same. You're a worrywart, you're a doomer. Yeah. 
you're not, you don't know what you're talking about. And yet, if they look in corporate America and see the amount of bed baths, baths and beyond, they see all the corporate restaurant like Applebee's, they see Targets, they see all of these stores in the retail sector that have closed up entirely, mm-hmm. or better than that, how many have reduced their inventory substantially. You, you'd have to be uh, unawake to see the reality of how much the system is contracting. Mm-hmm. And that means less, less choices. That means less things to buy. That means less jobs. That means less transportation. It means less fuel being used. It means a contraction in the overall economy. And that's what we are witnessing day after day. Yet, if you just look out your window and you're living in a bubble and you don't get much away from your own screens, your, your mobile screen or your desktop screen, it might appear to you, especially if you're fed by the algorithms to reinforce your thinking into mm-hmm. this really incorrect viewpoint that everything is okay. So I'm here to tell you it's not okay. There's not much room left. We are going to see an end. How is it going to end? I don't know exactly. And what I want people to know is it's we've been here before. Humanity has gone through this before. There's been many instances of collapse of empires. In mm-hmm. fact, it's part of the greater cycle. Right. Does it mean everyone starved to death? No. Does it mean, you know, you don't have your friend? I mean, there's a lot to humanity that is so unbelievably fantastic with our spiritualness, our openness, the way we can treat others, the way the general people are good. I'm absolutely convinced of my world travels that you just randomly take a group of people and eight out of 10 are basically good. Not perfect. We're human, but they're going to help you. I mean, especially in the Latin America countries, in my experience, I don't want to go on that tangent too far. So we are at the end. And we don't, and unfortunately, we don't see it. And it's like putting on a new pair of glasses, you know? Maybe you need a new prescription, and all of a sudden you get the new prescription. Everything's the same, except you see it differently. And I think that's what your job is and my job is. It's not to paint a picture of doom. It's not to broadcast 3,000% inflation. What it is, is to get you to think and realize the reality of the situation. And we want you to, we want to help. And the best help that we can do is for everyone to be free. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter your color, your religion, your sexual orientation. None of that really matters in the greater scheme. What matters is, are you free or are you not free? And that is the bigger question because money is power, money is control. If they get to the CBDC, which is what they're shooting for, they have ultimate control over, over everything you think, do, and say. Think about that. Everything you think, do, and say. Yeah. I mean, the algorithms are getting so powerful, and I don't want to go against some of my friends that are more advanced in computer language than I am. I just did Fortran and Basic. But regardless, hmm. is there the ability to do thought police or not? I don't know. I'm going to presume that there is. My friends might say you're wrong, and it'll never be done, or it cannot be done. I don't know. What I do know is that that Minority Report was a pretty scary movie. And I also know for a fact that if your opinion is considered disinformation by the fact checkers, regardless of how truthful it is, your site could be shut down, your, that Twitter uh, post could be taken down, uh, you can be given a warning. I just given a warning a couple of days ago about using music, and I looked up the music um, app that we used, 
and it's all this music that's for free and it's unlicensed. Right. So here comes YouTube penalizing me yes. using music from a site that's supposedly free and, uh, and have access to. So it just gets weirder and weirder, but back to you. Yeah, it's interesting. I I am. Um, I, I do some work for an organization called the 10th Amendment Center. And uh, one of the policy areas that I've been involved in is surveillance. And I can tell you from having been kind of having delved into that world, that the amount of information that not only governments, but you know, private entities that are often now in, in kind of cahoots with the government, the amount of information that they can collect and gather on an individual is astounding. Uh, my, my wife and I were just watching uh, Chicago PD the other day, and, and they were talking about bus cameras. They've got cameras on all the buses in, uh, in Chicago. There's roughly 12 cameras on every bus, some inward, some outward facing. When you start to add up the number of cameras, the number of microphones, the, the number of, of uh, apps on your phone that can collect this data, I, I have no doubt that it is certainly feasible to have the thought police as it is. I don't think that's paranoia or conspiracy theory at all. But um, So let, let's end on a bit of optimism because I think Ultimately, I, I liked what you said about about kind of human nature and people, and I, I agree 100 percent with you. And that's what makes me optimistic. I know that, uh, you know, we have resources, we have the ability to work, we have intelligence. So all is not lost. Uh, the government's corrupt and, and has created this mess. But um, individuals in cooperation with each other, we can certainly still do great things no matter what the government's done or, or continues to do. So what would you just say to an average person, maybe somebody who, you know, not somebody who is, is of a great deal of means, but, you know, is, is working and, and, you know, able to maybe put a little bit of money aside. What would you say to somebody or, or maybe one or two steps that they could take to just start preparing for what you and I agree is inevitable? Yeah, that's a great question. I may answer it a bit differently than you might expect, not to you have any preconceived ideas, right. but I've actually been asked this here recently. And so I'll back up a step. And I've been asked throughout the years many times, like, well, you've been at this a long time. And you've seen this from uh, a very early age. You've made it your life's work. And how in the heck can this not burden? You know, how you seem optimistic. You seem mm -hmm. like you don't let it you know, run your thought process. And the answer to that is the Gandhi, purported Gandhi expression, you know, um, be the change you want to see. Mm -hmm. So in order to really be free, you have to be free yourself. And that's a spiritual experience mm -hmm. or a spiritual way of living. And so if you are truly free, then all of this stuff is just stuff. Is it important? You bet it is. Freedom is ultimately important. But if you can't be free in and of yourself and realize you know, what your true values are, what your core beliefs are, and what you're willing to fight for, then you really don't have any business in a way uh, going into an action step <clears throat> without some conviction. Right. So one of the places I found freedom was one of my mentors, the late Harry Brown, B-R-O-W-N-E, ran for president mm -hmm. of the United States on a libertarian ticket, wrote several books. One that he's not so well known about is how I found freedom in a free, free world. world. Yep. So I, I would suggest that 
you get your own act together and your own family together. When I was in China, there was an expression, I can't speak Mandarin, but the emperor is very far away, as oppressive as a communist government can be. It doesn't necessarily enter your life on a daily, minutely, hourly basis. Depends where you are. You know, if you're in, a, you know, a, a banking system and you're, you know, photographed on the bus, getting off the bus, walking right. in the building, that's a different story than if you're out farming in the land somewhere. Uh, so I'm speaking in a context of, you know, people that are not as inundated in, let's say, city life as others. So it's mm -hmm. more of a rural life. And I think that's one of the aspects to be more free is you know, more self-reliant, self-independent, not be as dependent on the corporate structure that we've all been taught that this is the only way to go. You got to get your shoes from X. You got to get your clothes from Y. You got to go shop at a, a corporate restaurant. You've got blah, 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 blah. And uh, it reminds me, I think it's the science fiction, I think it was Demolition Man, where, you know, there was the corporate wars and like Taco Bell or something where the only corporate restaurants that survived the Great Reset. So that's sort of the, an analogy for where we're going. But as this unwind, we have a real paradox here. And the real paradox is that the globalists are working harder than ever to globalize everything. Mm -hmm. Put the WHO in charge and they can mandate yes. that we all have to bow to their and supersede any national sovereignty. Are you kidding me? That alone should be uh, words to take up arms. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll say arms in the, in the terms of uh, digital warriors under computers. <laughs> But eventually it could go beyond that. So that's one aspect. On the other aspect, the opposite is happening. As we get a further contraction in the economies, people are going more to what Cliff High calls self-organizing collectives. Yeah. And this is our communities. And this is where things are breaking down. So it's more important for you apple farmers to work together. We've got too many apples, but what else do we need? Oh, we're going to work with the Montana guys that have beef. Uh -huh. Let's start a co-op for the farmers, and we're going to have apples, beef, corn, potatoes are big here in Idaho, and make our own co-op. So there is nothing absolutely guaranteed as far as how this new monetary system is actually going to come into being and how uh, accepted it will be. It'll be rammed down our throats, and it'll be a no-option proposition for many people. That I'm pretty convinced of. Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean it'll succeed in the long run. So we need to um, get out of our, our screens. I spend a lot of screen time, I'll admit it, but and uh, get more friendly with our neighbors, our communities, I and, agree. Yeah. and get, get back to basics. If, for example, I know I'm droning on, but... If, for an example, we do have a cyber attack of some type or an EMP, either natural or, or not, we may get that pause and come out of it in a different thought process than we went into it. Mm -hmm. um, I think COVID uh, did that for some people where I think so too. Yeah. they really had to examine what was important and what wasn't, and their family's health was important. Uh, their family relationships had a chance to get worse or heal. A lot of them heal. So the human experience is about humans. It's not about computers. It's not about digital currencies. It's not about, you know, what movie. It's really about humans. I mean, when you get to the end, <clears throat> it's your memories that you have. And your memories aren't about your bank account. Right. You know, they're about 
experiences and memories, and a lot of them might be beautiful vacations, but that vacation was I went there by myself and jet skied. Right. Because you shared it with your family, your friends went with you, or you had a big family gathering, or maybe it was at Christmas where you didn't have that much, but it was the best turkey you ever had. I mean, those Mm -hmm. are the things that actually matter at the end. It's just that we forget that along the path. We forget to smell the roses as an overused metaphor. I really appreciate that that kind of philosophical perspective, and I agree one hundred percent with you. You know, to steal Mises's phrase, it's human action. It's it's that human interaction, and that's that's really where it's at. So, where can folks uh, follow your work and and get more uh, information on you and and what you're doing? Maybe sign up to your newsletter. Yeah, the best place really is to go to themorningreport.com and uh, just sign up for the free letter. If you're interested in a subscription, hit the subscribe button and read the sales letter. I do my own stuff on Twitter. I'm usually on there every day for two or three posts or reposts. That's at silvergoo 22 That's my handle on Twitter. The blog tab is for free. Almost all interviews I do for the public uh, are on there. And I've also got a YouTube channel, a LinkedIn account. Facebook, we really don't do anything with. Um, and what else? I guess Twitter I already said. So I try to do a lot in the educational realm, try to you know bring people up to speed as far as the, the reality that we face and why you are important, why you are more powerful than you think you are, why your thinking does matter. Um, you know, the idea that just one one person helping another You know, it might not mean a lot in the aggregate, but it means everything to the person you helped. And I'm a huge believer in a hand up, but not a hand out. Uh I really think that if you can help somebody up or get back on their feet or whatever, it's very important. But if you're just going to let them um, not progress, not move forward, then really you're holding them back in a way. And unfortunately, in some cases, not all. There's too many handouts and not enough hand ups. Uh, and that's my own personal viewpoint, but I can back it up. But don't want to go down another road for you, but I really appreciate the time. And uh, hopefully something that either one of us has said has done something to help give people more hope, trust, belief, uh, or conviction that, you know, we really do have the power. Uh-huh. Uh, we really do make a difference. And if we really knew how to vote better, and I don't mean vote with the national elections or the state elections or the county elections, I mean vote with your pocketbook. Right. Quit buying their crap. Quit buying unhealthy food. Uh-huh. Quit buying into a fad. Quit buying into crap that you don't need. Really get more realistic with what's important than what isn't. And we voted with our dollars that way. Believe me, that's the one thing corporate America really understands. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I really do appreciate your time and uh, we'll let you go. I'd love to talk to you again sometime. And I really appreciate your insight and um, hope you have a have a great afternoon and and, uh, we'll talk again soon. Great. Well, thank you, Michael. Appreciate it. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview. That will do it for this week. Be sure to check back next Friday for our next weekly market wrap podcast. And if you enjoyed Mike's interview there, be sure to check out the Money Metals Midweek Memo hosted by Mike Meharry. I strongly encourage you to check out Mike's podcast each week. Just go to moneymetals.com or find that on whatever podcast platform you prefer. Until then, this has been Mike Leeson with Money Metals Exchange. Thanks for listening and have a wonderful weekend, everybody. 
Thank you for joining us for this week's Money Metals podcast. Be sure to come back next week. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast through iTunes. For answers to all of your questions, or to discreetly and securely buy or sell gold or silver coins, bars, and rounds, call 1-800-800-1865 or visit www.moneymetals.com. Our knowledgeable and no-pressure specialists are standing by to answer your call during business hours, Monday through Saturday. Or you can lock in your order online, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Again, visit us at www.moneymetals.com or call 1-800-800-1865.